Welcome to a very special edition of the Ramble Room. What you are about to hear is the Ramble Room's portion of the Independence Network's launch party recorded last night live in front of a live studio audience and also broadcast in several different ways. That said, understand that the audio is from a live situation and not in a controlled studio environment and therefore is not perfect. Uh, I've done what I could to make it as presentable as I can, but I, I know that you will enjoy it. And I just have to thank my guests, Tom Kelly, Chip Nyman, John Bear. You guys did a great job. You made this a very special night for us. And we look forward to many more appearances on the Independence Network. I cannot say enough about the work that Joey Corinthi, David Iverson, Christine Sturdivant, and so many others, James Clare. You guys were magnificent. Thank you for all of your support and for making this a very special evening. I hope that you will go to our website, independencenetwork.us, and catch the broadcast of this is going to be rebroadcast. I hope you'll become intimately familiar with Cowboy State Politics, David Iverson's show, which is outstanding, and with Joey Carini's Just Blame Joey. I think you're going to love what he does. It's very different, and it's intriguing, and it's informative, and it's very factual. And uh, this is the kind of information, the kind of reporting that Wyoming so desperately needs. So without any further ado, I'm going to release this audio, the audio of the inaugural Ramble Room show on the Independence Network. you doing that for us and before we start if you turn around and give a little applause there a little welcome to James Clare the third James is a refugee is a conservative refugee to here to Wyoming and he brought a lot of fun with him he he has a barn out there by Lake to Smith and they call it the the rock and roll ranch and it looks like R3, but those of you who took any math would know it's actually R cubed. And so that's the name of this place. And every Friday and Saturday night, he does, just for donations, karaoke. Very family friendly. Um, a lot of us go out there and hang out. Uh, there's usually hot dogs and lemonade and other things. It's, it's a great deal. If you, want info more, if you want more information on that, see any one of us and we'll, we'll fill you in. But, uh, Thank you, James, for graciously sitting in tonight. My first guest this evening is another refugee, this one from Illinois by way of Colorado. 
Dr. Kelly may be familiar to a lot of you. He's been on my show quite a few times, and we look forward to having him back quite a bit. He's going to do something a little bit different. Most of the guests are going to come up, and we're going to do a little conversation and interview. But I'm just, I asked Tom, because this is something he's good at, just come up and do a little riff for us for about seven minutes. So uh, without any further ado, Dr. Tom Kelly. could say is thank you. I'm absolutely honored to be technically the first guest here on the Independence Network. I, so I am Tom Kelly. I am an unofficial emissary from Wyoming is right. There's Jeff Wallach over there who afforded me the wonderful opportunity to be heard and to speak for many people across Wyoming in the Sheridan area. And that's why Ken asked me to be here tonight, along with my friends Joey and David. It's such an honor to be here. So he said to riff. I'm not going to come up here and crack some tall jokes about myself. We've heard those before. It's why I agreed to be here today and to speak, even though I will be some part of the Independence Network one way or another. We'll all talk later, right, guys? But these are my friends, and this is a mission as much as it could be considered a business endeavor. As they've already said, we have an issue with media, but it's not just in Wyoming, it's national. And this is something I've seen from the other states, this is something I've seen since I've been in Wyoming, but it really came home in 2020 when COVID first hit. And this is when I first started to understand my calling in communications. Now, I don't lead this typically, but I'll let you know about this. I speak openly about it now. I'm an extreme introvert. I'm an autistic man. Public speaking was really not in the cards for me for a long time, even though I went on to become a teacher or whatnot. But people started to contact me in 2020, asking me things like, what's happening? I can't tell what the truth is. And I'm not talking about friends, I'm talking pastors of large churches, CEOs of companies are saying, get a hold of this guy, Tom Kelly, because he seems to have a clear idea of what's happening. And during this time, I was lumped in as a crazy right-wing conspiracy theorist when I said nutty things like, I think that virus might have come from a lab. We laugh about that now because it's a fact. When I said, Six feet separation is a joke. This is an airborne virus. You're a conspiracy theorist. And I said, really? Because the most totalitarian system in the world locked down and it still escaped their country. It's floating on the air. These were the first hints I got that something had gone very, very wrong in the country. Now, we've known for many years that the media has a leftward Democratic Party tilt. I don't need to tell you that. I just told you the sky's blue, the earth is round. We don't have any flat earthers here, do we? Okay, good, good, good. But it came to the point where it ceased being media. It ceased being biased news and became outright propaganda. 
And that threshold was crossed as soon as they started talking about censoring misinformation, disinformation, male information, which is stuff that's true, they just don't like it. So the mission of the Independence Network is not just to find a place where you can have a voice, where you can hear people who speak and think similar things to you are, because definitely this will not be an echo chamber. There will be disagreement. There will be lively debate on the Independence Network, especially if they have me. <laughs> it will not be an echo chamber again. But this was the number one weapon I had noticed during the time of COVID, during the time of the rise of conspiracy theories where it became a meme, what's the difference between the truth and conspiracy theory, about six months. The tactic is to make you feel isolated and alone. Only you think what you're thinking. There's something wrong with you. How can you believe that? That's propaganda, that's misinformation, that's just a conspiracy theory. You're uneducated, you're uninformed, you need to be silenced. With an entity like the Independence Network, Wyoming now has its own tool to connect people who have been intentionally isolated from one another by a media system that is incestuously putting out its own propaganda. You will see, even in Wyoming media, nothing quite often but Parroted national narratives coming from the AP, the New York Times, the Washington Post. It doesn't matter if you get it on, as David calls it, belovedly, the cow pie, or you get it from the New York Times, it's the same story. So as the first guest, I'd just like to welcome everybody here. It's so wonderful to see so many people here who have the same feeling inside that something has gone drastically wrong in this country. And I see the Independence Network as being beyond just information, but a place that all of us can call home and find some sense of community among all of you crazy right-wing conspiracy theorists. Thank you for having me here, Ken. Absolutely, thank you. My next guests, during the legislative session, which is it's very trying. There's a lot of hours and, and sometimes late in the evening we'd finally get together to produce what was then called, and we'll be, we'll be back, uh, the Chip and Bear Show. And it was an honor to get to produce those shows and to be kind of on the, on the inside and to be able to spend time with these guys. And I'm looking forward to that. As I mentioned before, the other honor, we had an official timer for the Chip and Bear Show. The honor was my roommate, Tony Locke, and, and it is, again, it's, it's great to see it. So anyway, the leader a, and a mentor to the Wyoming State Freedom Caucus is John Baer, and with him is Chip Nyman, who is the, re, the majority floor leader, and we're honored to have them with us today.
You have to use a mic. Directly over the work. Yep. Yeah, Chip's got it. Oh, never it's blow into the, the microphone. <laughs> that's why we have a. That's why we have somebody to help us with that. He just it? blew it. <laughs> a producer, right? Sometimes the the Chip and Bear show was designed to be about a ten-minute show, and sometimes it took us a while. Somebody would get the giggles, and I don't want to embarrass Chip, but. That's kind of how it went. So I brought these guys up here, and I wanted to talk about a couple things. We're not going to get real heavy. We just want to bring some things to your attention. John Bear, to my right from Gillette, sits on the Revenue Committee. And they just got out of session. And how many of you are just tickled pink about the legislature and what we've done with property taxes? How many? Grace, see you, see a hand? I don't see anybody. So I've asked John to just give us a little bit of an update on what happened at Revenue Committee and what's coming down the pike. Um, I will say before he starts, for those of us that have been following it very closely and understand, the establishment came out and tried to kill. Mark Jennings, stand up, please. Mark Jennings got a bill passed. Thank you. He got a bill passed that would do an acquisition study, which is actually the only, the only plan that we could get passed that would change how things are done. Everything else is just kind of a band-aid, and we're trying to get to the, to the center of the problems. And so, uh, they hired, we had an acquisition study bill, so they hired a group to come out and do a study. And then they came, they were really assassins, is what they were. But uh, thanks to a couple other people, and I'm going to let them remain anonymous because we kind of like having them sneaky. There are a couple of people in this room that did an awful lot of work, a lot of background work, and sat down with our legislators and helped them out, gave them some, some ammunition. I'm rambling. That's what it's about. Ramble room. Yeah, yeah. Gave them some ammunition, and I'll tell you what, the conservatives on that committee shut these guys down and made fools of them. It was a beautiful sight to behold. They, they asked questions and these people would come back and were literally speechless. So it was a lot of fun. And uh, I won't mention Cindy's name either, but Cindy came up and she gave, she gave some information. There's a rock star for you. Cindy, Cindy Barlow came up and, and for free, the other people charged us $38,000. Cindy did it for free, and so yeah, that's right, forty-eight thousand. I stand corrected. At any rate, I've rambled long enough, John. You give us a little bit of idea of what happened in that session. I think you just shared everything. No, not oh. everything. <laughs> oh well, uh, you know, folks, property taxes. Everybody's upset about property taxes. The last meeting we had in Sheridan here, we had oh, a couple hundred people show up. And uh, the chairman of that committee did a wonderful job of making all 200 of those people absolutely miserable. Absolutely. And uh, I think the point is, is that there's a lot of people in the legislature that do not want to cut taxes because they got to feed the beast, right? So we're up against a lot, and that's what we're seeing now. But I think the voice of the people is starting to be heard, and they started coming around. 
So one of the things, uh, after we heard the, the whole rigmarole about how we should not base your property taxes off of what you paid for your house, rather we should base it off of what your neighbors paid, like we do now, uh, that's what the acquisition study was all about. Thank you, Mark Jennings, for bringing that study. Um, they came out and they said, well, we did the study, and by gosh, we shouldn't change a thing. We should leave things the way they are. I'm sure everybody here is happy with the way things are. So anyway, uh, Tony Locke, who's back in the back of the room, brought in a, a motion to bring a bill to do an acquisition anyway, to base your taxes off of the price you paid plus inflation. Yeah. And we got that passed. So, uh, so generally speaking, that committee is seven conservatives to seven liberals, and that's only when we're together with the Senate. There's a whole lot of times when it's just the House, and it's everybody's name, and then it's Bear Strock Lock, Bear Strock Lock. We're the three that are standing up for you guys, trying to uh, keep your taxes from going crazy. But uh, we got that bill passed, and then uh, we passed another bill to uh, put a cap on the rate of increase of your taxes. Uh, unfortunately, it's just on residential. So kind of like when you squeeze a balloon, something else pops out. They're trying to change the Constitution so they can just give you relief on your property taxes, on your house, uh, but they're going to raise taxes on your corporations, which means that you're going to be paying for your break that you just got every day when you go out and buy goods and services in your community. So, so you're going to end up paying for that loss. That way they can keep government growing like it has been. Uh, and there was a bit of a fight uh, on the growth and, and that cap. What we have right now, folks, is uh, in this bill, if we can get it passed, uh, your, your property tax cannot go up more than 5% each year. And even better than that, there's a lower matrix, <clears throat> excuse me, and that's the CPI index, so the rate of inflation. And they tried to get that rate of inflation out of there, the other side. And the reason is, is they want government to be able to grow faster than the value of your house. And so we were able to keep that in there. So thank goodness for the conservatives, both on the Senate and the House, we were able to do that. And we got the other side uh, with a few speeches to realize, yeah, this is important. Government should not be growing faster than the value of everything else we own. So we got that done. Thank you very much. There's another insidious movement afoot put on by the, what I, we call it a federal land grab. And uh, they recently reared their ugly head down in the southwest part of the state. And I've asked Chip to give you a little bit of an idea about what's going on. And we'll, you'll hear a lot more about this in future weeks, I'm sure. So Chip, give us a little. Sure, be glad to. Um, first of all, I want to say congratulations, gentlemen. Best of luck to you. Be praying Godspeed to you guys as you bring the truth and uh, bring light. Light is a great disinfectant, and I trust that you guys will, will shed light on a lot of things that would like to be better kept covered. So please, for all of our sakes, do that. Um, as far as the, uh, what, what Ken's talking about, we're talking about the, uh, the RMP, uh, the Resource Management Plan that was just brought forth by the Bureau of Land Management in the Rock Springs area. And so what you've got is you've got an agency, a federal agency now that has come and, and is going to do a, 
a transformational effect on millions, literally three point, what is it, eight million acres, I believe it is, of lands now that are going to be handled in a different way down there. And quite frankly, removing human involvement or human uh, uh, contact, basically. I know they fuss when I say that, but the reality of it is when you create a, a situation that you're basically creating land that is now in uh, critical need of management, which means critical need means that uh, we're going to keep you out of there because you don't know how to handle it. When you start taking away animal units and allowing or disallowing the use of the, of the land, public lands by the way, to be able to be utilized by uh, livestock for grazing, we're going to reduce the amount of grazing that's on there. We're going to now implement non-lethal methods of controlling predators on federal lands in those areas. Now non-lethal methods, what do you consider non-lethal methods? for controlling coyotes or grizzly bears or wolves or something like that. I think it's counseling, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to give you a stipend for not eating the sheep and stuff like that. But when you start doing those things, I guess the issue to me is I don't think our federal government, in the way that they're addressing these issues down there, really realize that idling land, which I think they do realize it fully, but they, uh, when you idle land, that's not management. That is as, as gross a mismanagement as you can possibly force on a nation. They are limiting our ability to create food and to grow fiber. They are trying to do anything that they possibly can to stop human use on these lands. And it's just a beginning. And I was sitting in a meeting down there uh, in Pinedale with the Joint Ag uh, Committee and Select Water had an opportunity to be able to be there and I serve on Select Water. And it was astounding to sit in that meeting and to listen to them give this plan. And then to me, as somebody who lives in northeast Wyoming, my lovely wife Joni and I, we ranch up in the northeast corner of Wyoming on the Belfouche River. And we don't have a lot of BLM, not nearly like what folks down in the southwest corner of the state deal with in public lands. But you can quickly realize that what they do there has a direct effect on what I will and she will be able to do in our corner of the state. Because when you drop a rock in water, the ripples move out. Their lack of management on their property, their lack of willingness to be able to manage their resources has a direct effect on every one of their neighbors. And we're all neighbors. And so if you're not gonna control your predators on your property, what are you doing to the people that those predators don't recognize what a three wire fence is or maybe an imaginary boundary between every other checkerboarded section. So it, to me, it's a blatant, full-on effort to turn Wyoming into a nature preserve, and that's what they would love to see happen. In my discussions with uh, Jim McGagnon, I have to give a shout-out to Jim and the Wyoming Stalker Association. If Jim had not put together that list, this is a 1,300-page document, mind you. He went through that and pulled out so many of the different things that have specific effect on agriculture. Not to mention just agriculture and livestock, but you're talking about timber industry. You're talking about all the different things that have to do with, with managing those lands and the limitations that they were wanting to put on them. And as we're reading down through this, just a little white paper that he briefly put together, it was, it was mind-numbing. The lack of respect for the people of this nation, in my mind, because what we have to do here is we have to manage our lands. You know, I get this when we live, we live north of the Black Hills National Forest. And I have a county road that runs down from the National Forest and hits the highway, and folks go back home after their deer hunting. 
And this is the only thing I can think of as a really good example of management versus not management of, of the resources that we have the responsibility to take care of. As they come out of the national forest, they complain that there's no deer. You know, it's hard to find any deer up in the national forest. It's just, there's just not the numbers up there. But when they hit the private land, there's where all the deer are. Why is that? It's because we manage the land for highest and best use. And it's another thing for all those out there that are talking about agriculture and agriculture's abuse of the land. I can tell you folks for a point of fact, I don't believe there's anybody in this room that believes what I'm about to say, but there are folks out there that would like to tell you, agriculturists are there to rape the land. Take advantage of it, abuse it and leave it. The reality of it is if we do that, we can't stay in business. We have to do the very best, most efficient job of managing that land to stay in business. And when those hunters leave the national forest, which is a, more of a hands-off policy, when you're talking about wildlife management, I mean, we'll leave you trees or whatever, but the deer aren't there. They get to the private land, that's where the wildlife is, because we cultivate, because we graze properly. Those animals come to wherever the feed's the best, the water's the best and cleanest. They have cover because we manage our timber. We cut it, we thin it, we make strong forests because we manage it like a crop because we need it to be there for generations to come. What we're seeing right now with this BLM effort, and it's not just the BLM. I mean, I know you want to sometimes you know, shoot, the, shoot the bearer of the news. The reality of it is we've got an administration right now that is creating a war on the West and a war on the people that are on the land. They would love nothing more than us to move off of this land. And that is a sad testimony when it comes to our continued generations that need places to live and places to enjoy, to recreate, and to be able to enjoy that food that we produce. And so as I watched that and I listened to that meeting down there, it was a stark reminder that we as citizens, Americans, specifically Wyomingites that are in their sites right now on this particular RMP, have to stand up. And you have to be able to be heard. Do not hope and pray that somebody will do it for you. Your voices matter. You have to speak up. You have to opine on this, this RMP. You've got until the 17th, I believe, of November. 16th of November? I almost gave you an extra day. Sorry about that. 16th of November. You need to go on the BLM website. And you need to explain to the BLM why it is critical that our lands are not idled and that the lands are managed appropriately. In my conversations with uh, Mr. McGagna, he said, you know, we had a really good relationship with the previous administration. He said they consulted the different agencies. They consulted the people that are going to be most affected by this change and by this RMP. This, mind you now, this has been 12 years in the making. $8.9 million spent putting this together. 12 years. Three administrations have gone through. Maybe, yeah, three administrations. He said that the last administration took our our responses, they worked with us, they listened to us, they did it. The next administration came in and he said all of that was disregarded. And they've gone on with their own agenda. Thanks, so, Jim. what's that? Thanks. Yeah. Quick question for the good representative here. I know you guys live up north, you got Hewlett and, and Gillette, but uh, we're all Wyomingites and I know you have an idea of the situation we have going on down in the south, especially 20 miles north and south of the Union Pacific Railroad. It's a geographic anomaly in land ownership we call the checkerboard. So if the BLM shuts down all of their 
sections. What happens to all of our sections as landowners, homeowners, and residents in those sections? Oh, is it a buy one, get one free when they shut down theirs? We can't get to ours either? Well, they, they are talking about taking away right of way as well. So There are roads a, that are going to be designated and some that are going to be taken away. I, I do believe that's probably ultimately the goal. Which, I mean, this is, this is what has been termed 30 by 30, yeah. which is, means that they want to take 30% of American land out of any kind of production and make it, like Chip said, a wildlife preserve by 2030. And, you know, and that moves on, 40 by 40, and you, you may have heard 50 by 50. Can you imagine 50% of our public lands taking out of use and what that's going to do to our ability as a nation to be able to provide for our people? And so there's an agenda out there, and that's why we need to be pushing back against this. And I, and I was very thankful to hear our governor now is, is motivated to uh, start pushing back on this, and well, I trust that that will happen. What caused that? I heard Freedom Caucus <laughs> had something to do with that, but I don't know. I uh, don't want to. Anyway, I'll have you have to do well, that, Don. I think Wyoming public media, or public I think uh, the radio of Wyoming. we were, yep. yeah. we're Wyoming the citizens. leader of the angry mob. So. Yeah, look at the angry Frustrated mob out there. Frustrated taxpayers. They're not yet, but they're about to be. Um, we need to lighten it up a little bit. Let's talk about the budget. <laughs> uh, we're coming into a budget session, and Chip, you're the majority floor leader, and so his job is to decide essentially what bills come before the House. Uh, but because it's a budget session, in order for any bill to be heard, there has to be a two-thirds vote to get something heard. John, would you, would you take a minute and kind of explain how that works? And because you're a veteran, you've been there before, give us a little bit of an idea about what, how the budget session works, if you would. Well, Mark Jennings down here can tell you what it was like when you're less than a third of the body, because one of the worst things out there is the fact that two-thirds can take you out of the body, by the way. Um, being a part of some, uh, a group that's bigger than a third, which you all made the conservatives in the House of Representatives larger than a third. So pat yourselves on the back for that. Thank Absolutely. you, thank you, thank you. So now that we're more than a third, it's very difficult to get a two-thirds uh, majority to pass really bad legislation. So I think that the uh, liberals, the moderates, the traditional Republicans are very concerned that none of their bills are going to make it to the majority floor leader. They're concerned about that. So, Do you think they have a right to be concerned? It just depends on what bills they write, right? <laughs> Everybody likes good legislation. Yes. I don't know. I, there's something they were talking about just the last week or two about, you know, the federal government shutdown. <laughs> oh, please, oh, please. <laughs> Maybe that's not the right answer, but it's mine. Um, well, I, I think you bring up a great point. That, you know, the scriptures say that where there is no vision, the people perish. And conservatives really need to have a vision. What you see in Washington, D.C. is Republicans, when they have control, like they have the House right now, there's no vision. There probably hasn't been one since Newt Gingrich and his contract with America. So, so what do they do? They fight to hold on to the status quo. I will say that our representative is doing a great job of shaking the trees and making bad stuff fall out of the trees. But uh, the Republicans in general are not moving the ball forward. 
and that's why we put them in office. You folks are looking for a revolution, and we've got a bunch of people that are just wanting to hold on to things where they're at. Yep, they're, they're playing defense. It's two-minute two minute drill, and they're playing, trying to hold on to a two-point two lead. That's not how you win, folks. And so I think in the, in the Wyoming legislature, it needs to be different. And when you talk about the federal government, one of the things we run into, and you can see this in the special session when we tried to push back on uh, vaccine mandates, uh, when we ran a bill this last session, it was Jeanette Ward's bill from uh, Casper, no vaccines, no mask mandates, those types of things. Uh, they put a $850 million amendment onto it to kill it because we can't afford to lose these federal dollars. So the first thing that's gotta happen is, is conservatives have got to get the majority and when we get it, we have to have a vision that says we're not going to keep taking more and more federal dollars. It needs to be a freeze on the amount of federal dollars that we accept. You know, and, and it's interesting you say that, John, because I just read an article, I think it's Tennessee, is now their legislature is actually looking at funding or rebuking all federal dollars coming to their state in an effort to keep those strings from coming with those federal dollars. And so you're starting to see people realize that with the shekels come the shackles. And so we don't want to be hung on to the federal government because we can't do anything without their okay. And we discussed that on the floor, even during the mask mandates, you know, and that was, I about got ran off the floor when I said, you know, if there's any state in the union that could say, federal, we don't need you. We will take care of ourselves. And it would be Wyoming because of our size of our population and the sheer volume of dollars that we take in, we can do this if anybody could. And there are states out there that are looking for leadership in that respect. They're, they're wanting to see if somebody has the courage to stand up and to say, you know what, we can do this without you. We will work on this and we can make it happen. Our people will make it. It's like when Biden come and threatened our schools that if we didn't uh, assimilate ourselves to a lot of their response, their requirements as far as their federal funding for like, like boys and girls restrooms. I didn't realize men could sports. menstruate, John. I have learned some cool things in the last couple of years here. But anyway, I'm still thinking jury's you, out. You haven't that. seen that in the animal kingdom no, in your no, ranch? No, I don't have, yeah. No, We've got we to, we our time it. is about up. We've got to rein this in. The, but I'm sitting here listening to you guys, and i got a little bit to say. House Bill 66, Jeanette Ward brought that. And it was the idea that no employer could force you to take a vaccine, to force you to wear a mask, which does not work, and on down the line. And the outrage was there. And it's funny because the outrage was coming from people that before this, the employer was always the bad person. In other words, you, you don't have any right to tell this person that they can't cross-dress at your laundry store, <laughs> your laundromat. Or yeah. out on the ranch. Yeah, yeah. Try that. And so, Try that in a small town. Yeah, there's all these things where they're coming down and saying, you don't have a right to tell these individuals what they can and can't do with their own body. You're just an employer. You can't do that. You can't do that. Oh, wait a minute. But you can insist that they inject some experimental crap into their system. Oh, we're not supposed to say crap, right? Yeah, I wouldn't do that. I have had Don't personal forget. experience with that. I yeah. wouldn't say that. You also, say, also technically, you're still a you. freshman, so that's just another freshman error. Yeah. Freshman error. Yeah. We all make them. Some of us do it more times than others. Anyway, but, guys. But see, Ken, here's the thing with that, too. You had a federal government that was threatening businesses that we're going to fine you, and we're going to penalize you if you don't do this. Yeah. 
And so what do the businesses do? I'm going to lose my, I'm going to fine you. If you're not doing it, I'm going to shut you down. So there again, you've got a federal government that yeah. they're not working with you. They're working against you. They're trying to destroy you. My point is kind of summed up in that the opposition doesn't have a consistent, logical, moral foundation. They use whatever they can, regardless of what side of the issue it might be on, to try to achieve power and to try to win. And we are about to turn that around, and you guys have been a big part of it. There are several other folks in this room that are a part of that, not just the ones that actually got elected. I mean, we can't do it without you. You guys, every time I go somewhere, I see you people out there, you're encouraging, I see letters to the editor, uh, but we need that support. Uh, we need your prayers, and we covet those. And I want to thank you guys for being here tonight. I know it was a travel, and uh, you may have to get on the road, but thank you for doing that. Thank you. I would like to say one thing, just to remind all of you before I leave. If that's something that... Uh, Mr. Kelly said before he came up, when he was up here, error hates truth. And if you stop and think about that, what we're dealing with right now is error doing everything that it possibly can to subvert and to cover the truth. We know what the truth is, and that's why we have to stand on that truth. That's the gospel first, God's word. But that's what they're fighting. Truth is under attack in this nation. We all know that, and error hates it. And the only way that they can continue to promote what their agenda is, if they can hide the truth, prevent people from hearing it, and prevent people from speaking it. Thank you, gentlemen, for what you're going to do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.